So what makes you happy? I want you to not continue in this podcast and simply pause for a minute and write the first five things that come to your mind. What are some things that truly make you happy? We were able to get some answers from some of our listeners and some people that aren't our listeners. Just simply asking people, hey, what makes you happy? Here are their responses. Pets, games, biking. I love the qualifiers on this one. Reading an actually good book. Disneyland, Pokemon, YouTube, my family, and cute animals and babies. I know that if I were to comprise this exact same list, one of the things that would be on there would be gift giving. I absolutely love to think about, ponder, and give gifts. However, the gift giving has to be my own idea and on my own terms. I don't want someone coming and saying, hey, you got to give a gift. I don't do well with the obligatory gift giving, but I absolutely love to do surprise giving and to completely surprise my kids, completely surprise whomever it is. That said, Paul is talking to us a little bit about things that make God happy. Now, I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to start with verse 1. Not that it has anything to do with anything, because it really doesn't, but it has a word in there that I just simply wanted to say. So 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Superfluous. Superfluous means it's unnecessary. So Paul starts off this part of Corinthians saying, hey, it's not really necessary, but I'm going to do it. And in the process of doing it, he writes to us about what God loves. So let's take a look. We're going to jump over into verses five through eight. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Wherefore, ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as a covetous. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Stop. Now, you probably listened to verse 5 and said, those were all English words, but I don't know what you were talking about. Totally cool. What Paul's talking about there in verse number five is he's talking about those of us that have bounty. I'm going to be really honest. Most of us don't feel like we have a lot of bounty, but I'm here to tell you, many of you listening to this podcast deal with what affectionately we call in our family first world problems. When it's a first world problem in our family, we simply just hold up one finger and then look at the family member as if to say, oh, that's the tough first world problem. When they were all sold out of Diet Dr. Pepper during COVID, friends, I'm here to tell you that is a first world problem. That's a really big first world problem. When, you know, you can't get the snack that you want at the movie theater, I'm here to tell you, my friends, that is a first world problem. And you and I, we have lots of these first world problems. And here's Paul saying, look, when you have bounty, you should be able to be ready. That same might be ready as a matter of bounty, right? Be ready with your bountinessness. Then verse number six, I love Taylor Swift. Paul quotes Taylor Swift all the time, just different than how she's saying it. She's saying karma is a cat, right? We've talked about this. Karma is a cat. Paul says, he that reapeth what you sow. That's karma is a cat, isn't it? And then we jump down into verse seven. Every man according as he proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth a cheerful giver. Did you catch what makes God happy? God loves it when you and I can be cheerful about giving. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiently in all things may abound to every good work. Now, you again may be thinking to yourself, Candace, that is all good and well. And I get the whole karma and then the reap what I sow. I get all of what you're saying, but I really don't have bounty. And I get that. We live in a very deficit-focused society. In fact, I decided to try a little experiment for myself recently. And that is when I'm writing in my journal, after I conclude writing about whatever the day was, I write the word gratitude. And I try to come up with three different things every single day that I'm grateful for. What I've noticed is finding those three things isn't very difficult. And the reality is, although I feel constraints sometimes financially, I feel constraints sometimes with time, I feel constraints sometimes wishing that I had new carpet or there are some really great shoes that I wanted to buy the other night that I didn't. Friends, that is a first world problem. And I have bounty. Now, a really cool guy, you might have heard of him, his name's King Benjamin. King Benjamin, in an attempt to help us remember this principle, over in Mosiah chapter 4, teaches it a little more clearly than you might have felt Paul did. So let's take a look at Mosiah chapter 4, verses 19 through 25. We start here in verse 19. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all substance which we have, for both food and and raiment, and for gold, and for silver, and for all the riches which we have of every kind. Now, that's a pretty tough question, because a lot of us want to say, yep, I totally made that money myself. Okay, cool. Glad that you made that money yourself, but who gave you the air that was in your lungs that allowed you to breathe so that you could actually show up to your job? The reality is, is if we break it down all the way to, in mathematics, they would call it prime numbers, If we break it down all the way to prime points, it all goes back to exactly what King Benjamin is saying. Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have? And the answer to that is, yeah, we totally do. Verse 20, And behold, even at this time ye have been calling on his name and begging for a remission of your sins. And as he suffered, ye have begged in vain? Nay, he has poured out his spirit upon you and has caused that your heart should be filled with joy. It has caused that your mouth should be stopped, that you could not find utterance, so exceedingly great was your joy. And now, if God, who has created you, on whom you are dependent for your lives and for all that you have and are, doth grant unto you whatsoever ye ask that is right in faith, believing that ye shall receive, oh, then how ought ye to impart of the substance that you have one to another? Do you get what King Benjamin is saying? He's saying, look, we pray to God all the time to help us out and to give us things and to help us get through. And he's saying, okay, God does that, especially if it's right for us. Then shouldn't we be doing the same for others? I think I really learned about this principle of just being willing to give when I had the opportunity of going backpacking in Peru. I was able to get connected with a company there in Peru that actually was owned and operated by a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which was really cool because all of the tour guides that I had 
had the same fundamental beliefs that I had, and then subsequently were providing different insights into some of the areas in the ruins that I was visiting. But one of the things that I noticed very quickly upon arriving in Peru was the fact that my first world problems didn't seem quite so bad. I actually visited areas and places where people lived in shanties, where the entire electricity was by an extension cord, and there was one light to light the entire house. It was a really liberal term. It really was four pieces of metal put together with uh, sheets used to separate those four pieces of metal into four different rooms and one major outlet that had power surge cords and a bunch of stuff plugged into that power surge cord, including the refrigerator and the one light bulb that lit all of that. And as I traveled through the country for that three weeks, I did something that I'd never done before. I took all of my clothing except the clothing on my back and I folded it up and I left it with one of my tour guides. And her response was, I cannot thank you enough for this. This is the best tip anybody could have given me. Back to King Benjamin. And if you judge the man who putteth up his petition to you for your substance that he perish not and condemn him, how much more just will be your condemnation for withholding your substance, which doth not belong to you but to God? to whom also your life belongeth, and yet you put up no petition nor repent of the thing which thou hast done. Now that's a tricky verse because sometimes we do cast judgment on other people. Verse 23, I say unto you, woe be unto that man, for his substance shall perish with him. And now I say these things unto those who are rich as pertaining to the things of the world. And again, I say unto the poor, ye who have not and yet have sufficient that you may remain from day to day. I mean, all you who deny the beggar because you have not, I would that you say in your hearts that I give not because I have not, but if I had, I would give. And now if you say these things in your heart, you remain guiltless. Otherwise you are condemned and your condemnation is just for you covet that which you have not received. I love that idea of I give not because I have not, but if I had, I would give. I know that this is a conversation I have had often with the Lord of, I wish I could do more. Or is there something that I can do that I'm missing? Elder Holland puts it this way in a talk entitled, Are We Not All Beggars? that he gave in October Conference 2014. He said, quote, Rich or poor, we are to do what we can when others are in need. God will help you and guide you in compassionate acts of discipleship if you are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep the commandment he has given us again and again, close quote. One more time, quote, rich or poor, we are to do what we can when others are in need. Pretty straightforward, right? God will help you and guide you in compassionate acts of discipleship if you are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep the commandment he has given us again and again, close quote. But maybe you're like me and sometimes the gift that you've given hasn't turned out quite the way that you thought it would. Anybody out there had that experience where like you were super excited about a gift that you were giving and then when you gave it, the person didn't respond how you had planned that they would respond in your mind. You know, those unspoken expectations. I think we've all done this at least once. Well, one of those instances for me was actually a Disney cruise. I had talked with my husband and had decided that we were going to go on a Disney cruise, my husband and our two daughters. And our youngest daughter at the time was still in elementary school. I want to say she was nine, maybe eight, eight or nine. 
And uh, I was really excited about this Disney cruise because, one, we are a Disney family. I will totally own that. And two, I love a good cruise. And I'd heard so many things about Disney Cruise. This is not an advertisement for them, but I'm here to tell you. Having done other cruises, Disney Cruise was my favorite. Lots of really cool things. And we were going at Christmas. So we were going to see the boat all decorated at Christmas, all these Christmassy things going on. And we were going to be in the beautiful heat and sun instead of in the winter snow of Utah. So lots of things that I was looking forward to. But one of the things that we did is we planned this around our youngest daughter. In fact, she had no idea what was happening. And finally, the day for us to fly out came, and I was super excited. I had everybody's luggage packed and in the back of our Durango. I went over to the elementary school to pick up my youngest. And when I picked her up and checked her out of school, she said, Mom, where are we going? And I said, oh, Tylee, I thought it would be so fun to take you to Sushi Monster for lunch. That's one of her favorite restaurants. And she said, I get to go to Sushi Monster for lunch? And she was super excited. You would have thought that I'd given her, like, the whole world. And I said, yeah, we're going to go to Sushi Monster for lunch. And she said, Mom, that is the best. And I said, great. Well, as we got in the car, she's a pretty perceptive kid. And she turned around in her seat and noticed the luggage in the back. And she said, Mom, what's with the luggage? And I said, oh, I had so many things to take to the desert industry to donate. I didn't know how to get it all in the car. And so I packed it in those bags. White lie. I'm going to own it. But she bought it. She's like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Well, just as all of that happened, my phone rang. Now, you need to understand that I had planned with the cruise line that they would call me and it would be Mickey Mouse telling us that we were going on a cruise. And so I picked up the phone and I heard the, or however Mickey, I can't do the Mickey, but I hear him talk and I say, oh, Tylee, it's for you. And she gets on the phone and she listens to the whole thing and her face doesn't change. And I'm totally expecting this, like, we're going on a Disney cruise. You know, like the things that you see on, I don't know, TikTok, Instagram, all social media. That is not how my kid responded at all. In fact, when the call got over, she said, mom, I think that was Mickey, but I don't know what he was saying. And I was devastated. I was like, dang, how did she miss that? Well, I don't know what I'd done in my scheduling, but somehow I had scheduled back-to-back Mickey calls. And so we hadn't even left the parking lot when my phone rang again, and there was Mickey, and he was explaining to her that he was so excited that he was going to see her on his cruise ship the next day, to which it clicked. We're going to go on a Disney cruise? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, where's everybody else? And I said, well, we need to go pick them up. Well, we did exactly that. We made our way to the airport. As we're pulling out the luggage, made it through security, go into the airport, my sweet eight-year-old turns to me and says, so mom, when are we going to Sushi Monster? I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, well, you picked me up to take me to Sushi Monster. When are we going to Sushi Monster? I'm really hungry. I had a very interesting moment of introspection of here I had planned this grandiose thing and she was quite content with the smaller one and she was also hungry. I'd forgotten to meet that immediate need that she had. Well, as a mom, I felt all kinds of feels. In fact, I don't even know which ones to even share, right? I felt a lot of things and I felt something here that Paul is trying to get you and I to take an evaluation of. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7, he says, Do you look on things after the outward appearance? 
If any man trusts himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. That's a pretty powerful question that Paul is asking us there in verse number seven. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? See, she was hungry, and that was the need that needed to be met right then. I was so wrapped up in my surprise that for a moment, I actually thought to myself, wait, we could have just taken you to Sushi Monster and that would have been good enough for you? As I've thought about that experience over and over again, I've also thought about how that really applies to us. See, the reverse is also true. Sometimes you and I settle for Sushi Monster for lunch when our Heavenly Father actually has the Disney cruise waiting for us. Now I'm going to say that again. Sometimes you and I settle for the sushi monster for lunch when Heavenly Father actually has a Disney cruise that's waiting for us. Part of the reason we miss that Disney cruise, though, is because we like to, and and I love us for this, at least I'm trying to love us for this, but we like to complicate things. We like to make things the most complicated that they can possibly be. And in verse number five of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, Paul points something very simple out to us. Like, and by simple, I mean it's super simple. It's two words at the beginning of verse five. He says, examine yourselves. Like if we just stop right there, are there areas of your life that you are right now making more complicated than they really need to be? Examine yourself. I can say, yep, without hesitation that I complicated and make it a much bigger deal than it really needs to be. So Paul is saying, okay, examine yourselves. Then he says, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. I love that word prove because prove means test it out. Test it out. See, and Paul says, see what? Prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be retrobates. So he's saying, hey, do you know, do you have Christ? Have you proven that Christ is in you? So in other words, are we living the gospel? See, when we truly live the gospel, this is what happens. Take a look at chapter 11, verse number three. I love this. And we're going to hit this idea a couple of times because Paul comes back to this again and again in these letters. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse number three. But I fear less by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, though his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Did you catch that? Examine yourself. Go prove and see if Christ is in you. Because why? It's the simplicity. Satan corrupts it from the simplicity that is in Christ. Elder Uchtdorf in... October Conference 2015 put it this way, quote, If you ever think that the gospel isn't working so well for you, I invite you to step back. Look at your life from a higher plane and simplify your approach to discipleship. Focus on the basic doctrines, principles, and applications of the gospel, and I promise that God will guide and bless you on your path to a fulfilling life, and the gospel will definitely work better for you, close quote. So when an apostle of the Lord in a general conference type setting is using those two powerful words, I promise, it's actually a promise from our loving Heavenly Father. 
And what does that promise? Well, he promises us that he will guide and bless our path to a fulfilling life and the gospel will definitely work better for you, close quote. That's a powerful promise that if we will step back and look. So let's just step back and look at a couple of things, at least a couple of things that seem to trip us up, particularly in our teen years. Sometimes it continues to trip us up as adults. Sometimes it doesn't trip us up as adults until we are adults. But let's start with the first one. Let's start with word of wisdom. Now, if you look at just some of the do's and don'ts of the word of wisdom, we know that we should eat meat sparingly. We should be early to bed, early to rise. We should, you know, take care of our bodies. But one of the things that's always called out is drinking, right? Alcoholic beverages and drugs. So what is the antithesis? And the antithesis means the opposite. So what is the antithesis? of keeping the word of wisdom while well, it, it's taking whatever drugs you want or drinking alcohol when you want. But one of the things that you have to remember then is if I'm choosing to drink alcohol or take drugs, I'm also choosing the potential of addiction, a potential car accident, unwanted sexual advances, lack of memory of personal actions, potential jail time, potential separations from those that I love, and so forth. So which is easier? Keeping the word of wisdom or not. I recently watched a limited series entitled Painkillers. Again, this is not a commercial for that. And it's an, an amazing example on there of a particular teen. Now, the premise of the movie is about the company Purdue that produced the drug Oxycontin. And at the beginning of each episode was probably the most powerful piece. And that was at the beginning of each episode of this limited series was a parent with a photo of the family member that they had lost to their addiction to Oxycontin. The one that hit me the hardest was that of a mother holding a picture of her daughter in which she said she only used the drug once and died unintentionally. So tell me, is the simplicity of Christ easier or harder? Or what about dating and sexual purity? Is it really hard? Well, what's the antithesis? Teen or unwanted pregnancy? Sexually transmitted diseases? You get the picture of where I'm going with this. So when we come to the simplicity of Christ, we have to do exactly what Paul said. Paul says that you and I need to step back and examine ourselves. So will you go and do exactly that? Will you go and examine yourself and determine where you are complicating the gospel of Christ and in what way you can simplify it. See, in these same chapters, we look at chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we find this. And he said unto me, meaning Christ, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am weak. Now think about it. When life gets you down on your knees and you really turn to the Savior, don't you become the strongest you've ever been? I think sometimes the strongest people are found kneeling or at least engaged in prayer. So will you take time? and truthfully examine yourself and simplify the way that you are living the gospel. 
because once you have taken that time to examine yourself, I'm confident that you will find ways in which you can cheerfully live the gospel. And remember, that's one of the things that makes God happy. And let's be honest, in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 25, we learn that Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. You and I are supposed to be happy. So let's focus on the positive and see what happens. So go, examine yourself. Go, live the gospel simply. Go and be cheerful. I know as you do, you will be able to be the change you seek. Make this week awesome. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We'd love it if you'd take time to leave us a review and also click follow. We would definitely love to hear from you. And you can reach us by either emailing the Go and Do podcast at gmail.com or following us on Instagram at the Go and Do podcast. I'm going to own. It may take me a minute to get back to you on the email, but it's just because I can't get in. Anyway, would love to hear from you. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Candace Shu, and produced by Cami Fisher. We hope that you enjoyed your time with us and that you have a good time. Don't be a good time. Let's go and do. We'll talk soon.